you'd like to read along with me, 23rd Psalms. Uh, we probably all have it memorized. But anyway, I'll read it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. Well, as always, it's a great privilege for me to be with you tonight and for every opportunity we have to be together. Thank you for the beautiful singing. Lynn, you've led us in a wonderful way and, and for the participation that you had and had a part in that. I'm very grateful and beautiful singing. Thank you for that. And very fervent scriptural prayers. We're always very grateful for the fine prayers that we have. And, and uh, I trust that we're ready now to enter into this portion of our worship service where we study from the greatest book in all the world, and that's our Bible. We have studied in the books of history that on August the 3rd, 1492, three ships left for Spain. They were looking for a new trade route through Asia. For two months they traveled and finally came to new territory. The Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria were the three ships that set sail. It wasn't too long after that, they came across troublesome times and some difficulties. Two of them had difficulties with regard to the rigging, and so they stayed, all three, at the Canary Islands. After repairs were made to the ships that needed them, they set sail again. They sailed together, and as they continued to sail, they finally came to their destination. They all came to the same destination because they were pointed in the same direction, and they had set their sails for the new world, and so they found it. It's odd today that you can have three congregations, and one of them go this way, and one of them go that way, and one of them can go another way. And the reason that they go into different directions is because of the set of their sail. The set of their sail is different. You can have three families, this family, that one, and the other. And these families can end up in different directions. Or you can have three individuals, and these individuals can end up at the same place in a very similar fashion, or they can find themselves in very different places and in different, very different ways. The point is the set of the sail. How will they set their sail? What direction will they follow? Someone wrote it in this fashion, two ships set sail, one went east, the other west, by the selfsame wind they go. It's not gale, it's the set of the sail that determines which way they go. Whether it be three congregations, three families, or three individuals, 
It all is determined by the set of the sail. Which way shall we be carried? It's not necessarily the direction of the wind, but it's how we set our sail and the direction we put ourselves into. And I think that's the key to this particular matter tonight. The set of the sail. It is the direction and the purpose. What shall it be? We have direction and purpose that's given to three ships tonight. And the three ships that I'd like to talk to you about, the first one is the ship of leadership. Now I'd like to talk a little bit about the leadership of the Lord's Church tonight, the significance of it, the importance of it, and how we can improve. With regard to the leadership, there Jesus in Matthew chapter 15 was telling the Pharisees about the, uh, the matter of... Um, the cleansing and their view, and I'll not take the time to go into all the context of that, but they were very upset with Jesus because his disciples did not wash their hands the way they thought they should wash their hands in some ceremonial type of a cleansing. And when Jesus had explained the matter to them, the disciples came to Jesus and said, the Pharisees, why they were offended at what you had to say. And the point that came to my mind is found in verse 14. Matthew chapter 15, Jesus said, let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. There's no leadership there. There's no spiritual leadership and there is no direction. The set of the sail is all wrong. And for that reason, that type of ship is going to fall upon rocky shoals. On one occasion, Alexander the Great in his conquest to Hellenize the world, came upon a certain city, and the king of the city spoke and yelled out to him as his armies marched up to the walls, are you going to try to take this city, and how do you think you can do it? Now Alexander the Great said, let me show you how to do it. So he told his men, march to the cliff. The men marched to the cliff, and he had them stop. He told the first man, jump off, keep marching, and he did without hesitation. He told the second man, keep marching, and he did, and he fell to his peril. He told the third and the fourth and the fifth, right on down to the tenth, whereupon the king of the city gave the city to Alexander the Great because he realized the great power of leadership which this man had over his army. It is the set of the sail. What kind of leadership is a congregation going to have? And in so doing, it'll amount to the outcome which the congregation will receive. Now Jesus has set the sail with regard to the leadership of the body of Jesus Christ. Frequently though, and I'm sad to say, a lot of leaders do not follow the direction which Jesus has given. And for that reason, the congregations, their respective congregations, fall upon hard times. And in some respects, it's hard to even see a New Testament congregation in a place that at one time was. And one might ask themselves the question, what caused this congregation to go in that direction? Which caused that congregation to go in that way and do what they're doing in that regard? And the answer would have to be, it's a set of the sail. Well, what sail are we talking about there? The leadership is the ship that we're referring to now. How does the leadership direct them and guide them? Are they blind leaders of the blind, 
or are they going to follow the sail that is set by the Lord? In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, you have a Bible passage that really helps us with regard to this matter of leadership. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Paul speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus. He gives them this instruction in verse 28, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made your overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Now this translation uses the word shepherd. And I rather suspect it's a better way to render it. But we'll have in more familiar translations that we've used the word feed. Feed the church of God which is purchased with his own blood. Among the requirements, God-given requirements for the elders of the body of Christ, we find them in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And he talks about deacons and he talks about elders there and the responsibility to meet certain qualifications which God has divinely set for them. One of the things that he mentions with regard to the leadership is found first in 1 Timothy chapter 3 in the verses, verse 5. Another word is used that I think that we should make mention of. Beginning in verse 4, He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how shall he take care of the church of God? Well, here the phrase, take care of, is used. There have to be men who meet this qualification. If they can't manage their own household well, how can they take care of? see after and tend properly the church of the living God. If the leadership is not right, the set of the sail is all wrong. But Jesus and the inspired apostles has given us the set of the sail. Let us follow that direction, and we'll end up where God wants us to end up. In Hebrews chapter 13, you have a marvelous passage, and I think of all the expositors that I've read on the book, this great book of the Bible, which is one of my favorites, I'd say in verse 17, they've all admitted and all had mention of the fact that he's referring to the elders of the congregations in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Well, you have two words that are involved in this matter here, Hebrews 13, 17. One is obey. And the other is watch, obey them that watch over you. Key words which help us see what the set of the sail is for this leadership that Jesus has given us, the importance of it. I've read of words like feed and care and watch. I read now of words like obey, watch over them. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. It's another important Bible passage that one would want to know and be familiar with with regard to this important leadership issue. What's the set of the sail here? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 teaches, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Well, once again, the word shepherd is used here, and I think it's a good rendering. You may have um, the word tend. We have words like care for, obey them, watch, tend, or feed. 
I think it's all summed up in this particular word that keeps coming up in our discussion. Shepherd the people of God. That's the set of the sail. If we set our sail the way God has told us to, we'll end up in the place God wants us to end up. And now I come to the passage which I asked to be read tonight. And that is Psalm 23 in the pages of the Old Testament. I want you to notice how even in this Old Testament passage, he's talking about leadership and the importance of that among us and God's people. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Well, he uses the word lead there, and he's saying he leads me by the quiet place. He leads me in places that are quiet. I heard an old preacher say one time that 75% of life is calamity and problems and troubles. Now, I don't know why he said that. I don't, I've felt at the time, I don't feel like life is like that. But he thought of it that way and expressed it that way. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel like 75% of my life has been a problem. 75% of my life has been overcoming this difficulty, overcoming that problem. It may be 75% of us would look at life in that particular way and vain. I don't look at it that way, but maybe some do. Well, here's the way to be led to the quiet waters of life, the still waters. He leads me. So I underline the word lead in Psalm 23 because it references the idea of leadership. He restores my soul, David says. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Guide here in this translation is the same as to lead in other translations. He leads me in this particular fashion. Elders are to lead the children of God. And when there are difficulties and problems of life, we go to them because of their understanding of the Scripture, the Word of God. We go to them because of their knowledge about life and their wisdom about living life to help us, to guide us, to lead us according to the pathway of righteousness. Now when you go on down into Psalm 23, he talks about the protection that God gives. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The protection that God has for his people is certainly found in that regard. A New Testament passage that helps me understand the set of the sail for leaders is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In that particular passage, I think it would be good for us to consider that as there's a lot that we can learn from the passage. I think about verse 10, but I want to read on down into the, the passages just for a brief moment. He talks about Jesus who died for us, verse 10. This is 1 Thessalonians 5, and I'm in verse 10. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also were doing. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Well, I think it's very clear once again as you study this particular passage 
That he's talking about the elders of the congregation, the local congregations. And in these Bible passages, I'm learning about the help and the strength and the leadership that elders of the congregation provide. And there are times when I fall into that 70 percentile whereby I feel like life is just really treating me poorly, wrongly. I can go to them and they will help me and lead me and guide me based on the Word of God. One great ship that God has given us, the set of that sail has got to be right. And if the set of that sail is not right according to the will of God, that ship will definitely fall upon rocky ground and uh, in turn run aground. That ship, leadership. May it be the kind of leadership that God would always have us to enjoy. Now there's another kind of ship that the Bible calls upon us to remember, and that's membership. So let me talk a little bit about the set of this sail. Not only has God given us instruction with regard to leadership, He's also given us instruction with regard to membership. And this ship can run aground if we're not careful, if we don't follow the divine pattern and set our sail as God has set it before us. Now, I might make mention of a great Bible passage in this regard, and that's in Romans chapter 15. And the Bible passage is verse 5. And I think you're going to see this coming up over and over again. In Romans 15 and 5, he tells us this, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. In other words, the set of the sail for the membership is for us to be of the same mind. Paul would talk about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. There he says we ought to be of the same heart and of the same mind. We ought to be following the teaching and the word of Jesus Christ. Tom Landry, who at one time was the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, was making a point to the Cowboys on one occasion. And there, in, uh, as I was reading about this, he was talking about a coach named Bob Marshall. He was from Mission, Texas. And he said, Bob Marshall took a bunch of boys, 24 of them, and made a winning team, a championship team, he said, out of those 24 boys. And he did it on the motto, 11 brothers are hard to beat. When you got 11 brothers working together as brothers, it's going to be hard to beat that kind of team. And that's what Paul's talking about as far as the membership is concerned. It's going to be hard for the devil to beat a group of people who love each other, united with each other, of the same heart and of the same mind. They're together. They're brethren. And they, in turn, are members one of another. This point comes up over and over and over again in the pages of the New Testament. It's the set of the sail. For this ship, and it's found for us, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I love this particular passage because he references the body of Christ like the physical body. And he'll talk about the physical body. And then by means of a metaphor, he'll talk about, now the body of Christ is like this. In other words, the body has a head, and it follows the dictates of the head. And of course, the hand cannot say to the other hand, you know, I'm more important than you are. Uh, we don't even need you. Nor can the foot 
say that it's more important than the eye or the eye more important than the ear. Every part of the body is important to the body. Well, he comes down to this particular point. I thought of verse 18, and I'm looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm trying to understand what the set of the sail is for this ship, for the members of the congregation. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Now, I think we ought to pause for a moment and consider that great passage. It's a Bible passage which says God arranged this body the way he wanted it to. He did it the way he wanted to, not the way I want to, not the way you want to. He arranged and organized this particular membership his way. And we need to look at the set of that sail and follow it so that we will be successful. And what is the set of that sail? Here it is again in verse 25. So that there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Now I've underlined that in my Bible because I want to remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and I want to remember verse 18 and uh, verse 24 and 25. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to all members which lack. Now we need to read more of the context, and I need to explain more of the context with regard to his usage of the metaphor of the body and the church. But one thing's for clear. One thing is clear. That is, the way God set up the physical body, it works in unison with all of its parts. And if one part of the body has a problem, all the members, other members of the body go to its rescue. And I don't care if it's a hangnail on your little finger or a bruise on your big toe. The rest of the body is letting you know that member hurts, that member needs help. And so he says that's the way it is in the body of Jesus Christ. Every member cares one for the other. It's the set of the sail for this particular ship. We call it membership, and it's important that we understand it and that we follow it. For if we do not, then we will fall on treacherous shoals. Now, the Bible over and over again, as I've mentioned a time or two already, is talking about elders caring for the flock, elders caring and tending for the people of God. And now the Bible's talking about the members caring for each other and being concerned about each other and being in harmony and unity with each other. No sooner do you begin to think about a passage like that than you begin to think about Ephesians chapter 4. I'd like to turn to that great prison epistle just read a passage or two out of it, which once again, Paul is emphasizing the need. Let's all be together of the same mind and the same heart and the same will based on the Word of God. Ephesians 4 and 25 says it this way, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor. And here it is. For we are members of one another. What is this? This is a membership. And Christ has set the sail for this membership. And we've got to follow the direction that he's given. And we work together. We follow the direction of the elders as they care for the flock. But yet as members of the body of Christ, we care for one another. 
and we follow the leadership and the direction of elders that God has so kindly given. There's another ship I want to talk about tonight, and it's a, an important one. It's an important one. It's called fellowship. We've had a lot of problems through the years with this matter of fellowship. Are we where we ought to be with regard to our leadership? We have wonderful elders, wonderful leaders. And we work at developing more. Are where we are, uh, are we where we ought to be with regard to our membership? We have a wonderful membership. People who love and care one for another, but we work at developing a closer relationship one with another. But the Bible uses a wonderful word right here, and it's the word that I've set up before you, and it's a, another one of these ships. A lot of times this ship is astray. A lot of times it goes the wrong way. This word fellowship. The Greeks use the word fellowship in three ways. Let me take a moment to think about it with you. When they use the Greek word koinonia, he would use it in the sense of a commercial enterprise. I'm in some kind of partnership with somebody. Or they might use the word in the sense of fellowship in a marital type of relationship. Or they might use the word in a type of society or social setting whereby activities are shared with each other in a social type of context. But I want to know how the Bible uses the word koinonia. And I want to know what the Word of God says about fellowship because I don't want to run on rocky ground here. I want to make sure that the set of the sail is right so that I'll end up at the right place after all. Those three ships that set out from Spain, they set their sail in the same purpose and for the same direction, and they ended up in the same place. I got three ships here that we've got to set sail in the right direction with the right purpose so that we'll all end up in the same place, and ultimately we want to end up in heaven itself. Well, without any further background and discussion in that regard, please keep in mind, that the New Testament, and I'll use the Apostle Paul as an example, though a number of Bible passages use the word fellowship. One way in which it is used with regard to spiritual blessings, sharing spiritual blessings. Notice the book of Philippians, and I'll use that as my text, and I'll kind of look at the word fellowship and how it appears in this great prison epistle. Therefore, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, if there is any encouragement in Christ... If there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete, verse 2 says, by being of the same mind. Now there it is again. You can't read this New Testament long until this idea of membership and fellowship keeps coming up. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, that's the set of the sail, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard another as more important than yourselves. And I believe that's the great thrust of the second chapter, is putting Christ in the place of ourselves. 
being more concerned about others than we are concerned about ourselves. And he references the life of Christ as being the divine example for that. That's the gist of Philippians chapter 2. But he uses the word koinonia in the sense of a sharing, a sharing of spiritual blessings. We're in this together, and we have this wonderful fellowship together. Live the same life together with regard to the life that God has taught in the pages of the New Testament. Learn what that Christian life is all about, and share in that spiritual life. Share in the spiritual blessings which God has in store for each of us. Now, there's a second way in which Paul uses the word fellowship, and I want to make sure that I understand it, and I wanted to stay with the book of Philippians, so I'll go to Philippians chapter 1. In Philippians chapter 1, about verse 5, he's talking about sharing something else. That, of course, is my, our mutual love for each other. It, um, it's a, a labor of love that we share together. Perhaps I should have started with this particular passage, but I look at Philippians 1 and verse 5, and he talks about, in view of your participation. Now, you may have the word communication there, something like that, but <clears throat> translations are trying to translate this word fellowship. And in this translation, it uses the word participation. They're in fellowship, or they're participating together. In view of your participation in the gospel, from the furry first day until now. You helped me. Where is he? I'm in prison. But you helped me. Even though I was in prison, you didn't turn against me. But you continued to help me. And you were considerate of me in all that I was doing. We are laborers together. We're sharing the work together. That's his use, their use and translation of the word participation here. We're sharing this together. Now you and I have not been able nor have God given us the opportunity to go to India but Scott Richards been to India and we shared in that work. Now he's looking at other work. We're looking at other places in Africa and we're helping good works in Africa. We're not able to go to Africa. It's not God didn't bless us in that regard. He put us in another aspect of work but we're sharing in that work. We're trying to help out in that matter. Helping young men go to school, we're sharing in that. All of us cannot pick up and go and do that particular thing. All of us wouldn't have the abilities to do that or the opportunities to do that, but we share in that. We're sharing in the work. That's his use of the term fellowship. And this ship is set, the sail is set for this particular ship whereby he's saying, let's share in the work together. Let's work together for the common good and for the work which God has given us to do. We are laborers together in this wonderful work of preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and helping others see the same. There is a mutual love with regard to fellowship that he talks about, and I certainly don't want to miss this particular point. You'll find it in chapter 1. Again, about verse 27, and I'll read a couple of verses here. I think I'll read on down through verse 29, and you follow along with me if you please. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What a challenge that is. What a challenge that is. Sometimes people will talk a good game, but they don't do it. They don't live up to it. We've got to live according to the gospel of Christ. 
so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together, notice that fellowship, for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that to you from God. For to you it has been granted, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer in his sake as well. And so we see that he's talking about in this regard the mutual love that we have toward each other. Now you can't read the book of Philippians without going away with an understanding of the great love that God has for us, that Christ gave himself for us, and the kind of love that we should have for them and for one another. And the book is filled with this wonderful discussion. As you go on down into Philippians chapter 2, there he says, Now have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, verse 5, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now when I read this, I'm thinking about the great love and sacrifice of Jesus, you see. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him, verse 9, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And I love this part of the passage. So that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and those on earth and those on the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now this chapter is filled with great passages such as that. And this may be one of the most profound passages of all the Bible, whereby God is saying, man needs a Savior. And the Son of God stepped forward and said, I will do it, and took upon himself the form of a servant, and came in the likeness of man, a fellowship relationship with which now God has with man. It was said in the long ago, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. God's now with us. Because God came and is now in fellowship with His creation. And Paul talks about this wonderful word, fellowship. Because we have fellowship with God, we now have fellowship one with another. And I have another point that I want to make about this fellowship. He uses it in a fourth way. I'm in Philippians chapter 4. And it's very important that I come to understand this part of this ship. And that is the wonderful blessings that I enjoy in Him. Nevertheless, verse 14, You have done well to share with me in my affliction. Uh, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. He uses the word share here in this translation. It means fellowship one with another, fellowship in the blessings that God has in store for each and every one of us. Now I'm saying that the Bible is teaching us that the set of the sail has got to be right. And if the set of the sail is not right in leadership, we're not going to get where we want to go. And if the set of the sail is not right in membership, 
then the ship is going to flounder and sink. And if the set of the sail is not right in fellowship, one with the other, then in turn, we're not going to accomplish the will of God. Let me spend just a brief moment, and that's all I have. This matter of fellowship is based on the divine word of God. We cannot have fellowship with each other unless we first have fellowship with God. The Bible talks about the matter in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And the great point about fellowship is described for us in a wonderful way in those three books of the Bible. In so doing, if I don't have fellowship with God, I can't have fellowship with you. We can't have fellowship with one another. It's important that, number one, I have fellowship with God Almighty by repenting of my sins and confessing my faith in Jesus Christ and by being baptized into Christ for the remission of my sins. Now, you hear me say that a lot, but that's how one gets into fellowship with Christ. He puts on Christ, and without that, one is outside of Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and verse 27. When that obtains, now I have fellowship with God. Let me turn to that great Bible passage and again just for a moment. And I've been trying in a very general way to describe for you 1 John chapter 1. And there is a, a particular passage in chapter 1 that I'd like to read. This is the message beginning in verse 5. We have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship, now that's our point. With him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is himself, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's trying to tell us there, in no uncertain language, that fellowship resides in a proper relationship with God first. There must be this vertical fellowship, and then a horizontal fellowship can be obtained between like-minded brethren. If we don't have it, if we don't have it, we're not going to end up where God wants us to end up. And it's not a matter of just going wherever the wind blows, but it's a matter of the set of our sail. And God has set the sail in the right direction. Let us follow it. If you've never been obedient to the will and the word of God denied, I urge you to do that before it is too late. I urge you to become a child of God by your obedience to the gospel of Christ, as I've mentioned it to you. Perhaps there are those who have obeyed the gospel, but you've been unfaithful to it. I'd urge you to become faithful once again through repentance and dedication of life, repenting of sin, and coming back to God once again. Won't you do that now? While together we stand and while we sing.